you can imagine that, yes, we are low enrolled, but I don't believe it is because of a lack of student interest. I believe it is because of a lack of university interests. Welcome language lovers, history buffs, and anyone who believes in the power of the humanities. This is the North American Francophone Podcast, and I'm your host, Dr. Clamérie Brisson. Today, we'll be exploring the concerning trend of humanities program cuts at Ohio universities. Many of you may know I'm from Michigan, and yes, I went to the University of Michigan. I know about the rivalries between Ohio and Michigan universities, but something is going on in the Midwest, and the academic landscape in Ohio is shifting dramatically. These cuts aren't just a rumor. According to the State House News Bureau, Kent State University announced massive budget cuts last week, potentially leading to program closures and faculty reductions. It doesn't just stop there. In fact, days earlier, the University of Toledo published plans to suspend and merge 48 of its degree programs. The schools are the latest to join a growing trend that is happening in Ohio, announcing looming cuts. Miami University is thinking about consolidating 18 of its majors. Youngstown State is phasing out six programs. Baldwin-Wallace is cutting and or merging 13 academic programs and 23 faculty and staff positions, which is huge. Marietta College plans to phase out 10 academic programs and dozens of faculty members and administrators. Again, all of this information is easily accessible through Statehouse News Bureau. Now, the real question is, why are these cuts happening? I graduated high school in 2009, a year after the 2008 financial crisis. And when I was going into college, I remember that my peers were thinking about two things. How am I going to get a job in this world? How am I going to get a job after this financial crisis erupted? And how am I going to pay for college? College is expensive. College has just continued to balloon. And my generation can't afford houses. We can't afford college. And we have a very hard time managing that level of debt that comes with higher education learning, with going beyond high school. And for many Americans, particularly millennials like myself and even Gen Z, people have very little faith now in the value of a college degree. Beyond that, people my age, millennials and Gen Zers, have been looking at the return on investment. They're skeptical on the return on investment by going to higher education, by going to a four-year college. And they're really understanding that maybe they need to choose a program that is fit to what their parents' expectations are for them to make money, to get a job, or their expectations for themselves, that they're going to be spending a lot of money for this degree and they should be high earners once they leave their college. So when we think about universities and we think about students who are enrolled in universities, they're thinking about that return on investment. And oftentimes, liberal arts majors are considered to be not the breadwinners. Parents might discourage their children from pursuing a liberal arts degree. And of course, maybe a finance degree will get you into a great position in life, but it's just not true that liberal arts majors are not doing well once they graduate. The Chronicle of Higher Education has a wonderful article published January 22nd, 2014 by Becky Supiano, and it says that, quote, skepticism over the value of a college degree, especially one in the liberal arts, is common these days. Then the article continues and says, quote, 
In recent years, new data have helped paint a detailed picture of what college graduates earn. Analyses have focused on what they make by major or by degree program at particular colleges. Now here's the fun part. Quote, While humanities and social science majors started out near the bottom of all college graduates in terms of salary at the beginning, the report says, older people who majored in those fields, many of whom also held graduate degrees, out-earned their peers who'd picked professional and pre-professional majors. So if we think about the Ohio University's claim that they're trying to consolidate programs and they're trying to cut certain programs like French or German because it just doesn't help with their students in the long run and they want to create professional opportunities. There is no evidence for that. In fact, there's evidence that is counter to that. I'll continue with this article here. Quote, one big reason that older humanities and social science majors out earn professional majors is that about 40% of people in the former group also hold a graduate degree. In fact, the report says, earning a graduate degree on top of a humanities or social science undergraduate major corresponds with a median annual earnings rise of $19,550. Excluding the graduate degree holders, humanities and social science majors earned less than professional and pre-professional majors. But it looks like if you're a humanities major or if you're a social science major, you are more likely to do graduate school. Now, I don't see how that's a bad thing for universities. That means that they're going to have students who go from the undergraduate to a graduate degree program. And ultimately, if a university is seeing itself as a corporation, that means more money for the university, more talent for the university. If they're funding a graduate researcher or if they're funding a graduate teaching assistant, that means they're having a skilled young mind come into a classroom, come into a research position and help out. So I don't see what the problem is from the perspective of the university, they're actually gaining by having a graduate student in the humanities or social sciences. And the report that I'm reading right now from the Chronicle of Higher Education makes a solid argument against those who say that liberal arts degrees have no value in the marketplace. And it sends a message to liberal arts majors, go to graduate school, right? Continue what you're doing. Keep striving for that humanities degree. And it's something I learned myself too, that I could do a master's degree and have funding, that I could do a doctoral degree and have funding. That was a big surprise to me coming from Dearborn, Michigan, where I knew that school cost a lot. When I suddenly found out that I could get a master's degree for free and a PhD for free, that changed my entire life. So as a Midwesterner myself, as somebody who grew up very close to Toledo, Ohio, I grew up in Dearborn, Michigan, I am saddened to hear that Ohio universities are not giving their students that chance, that they're not giving their students the opportunity to lift themselves with a humanities focus or with a social science focus, and indeed are giving up on the intellectual curiosity that their students could pursue and cultivate. As a reminder, I went to the University of Michigan, but I went to the University of Michigan Dearborn. 
there's a big difference between Dearborn and Ann Arbor. Dearborn is primarily a commuter campus. Dearborn is in my hometown. Dearborn took me 10 minutes tops to commute to from my home. I went there and I'm now teaching at Harvard University. And the reason that I made that jump was because they still supported the humanities. They still fostered that drive, that energy, that education that allowed me to dream big, to aim higher in the words of the motto of my master's institution, Wayne State University in Detroit, that I was able to access that, that I was able to cultivate my love for the French language, even at a commuter campus, has changed my life, and it changes the lives of my students. And so I'm very disheartened by the news coming out of Ohio, and I wanted to discuss today with people who are affected, faculty who are affected by this decision. So today I'm very happy to invite Dr. Linda M. Rouillard, who is the Faculty Senate President and Ohio Faculty Council Chair and Professor of French in the Department of World Languages and Literatures at the University of Toledo, as well as Dr. Ruth A. Hotel, Professor Emerita of French at the University of Toledo, and Chevalier de l'Ordre des Palmes Académiques. A huge honor. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Ruth Hotel and Dr. Linda Rouillard. I believe that the best introductions are often self-introductions. So if you could tell me a little bit about yourselves and what you've done at the University of Toledo, I think that'll start our conversation in an interesting way. Well, thank you, first of all, for inviting us. We're delighted to be with you. My name is Dr. Linda Rouillard, and I am a professor of French at the University of Toledo. I've also served as the chair of the Department of World Languages and uh, Cultures, as has my uh, colleague here. And I always say that I'm a medievalist by training, but I cross-dress as a generalist here at the <laughs> University of Toledo. So uh, when I was interviewed for this position, the dean asked me, well, what, what do you want to teach? And I said, I'll teach what needs to be taught. And so I, you know, retooled, I learned to, you know, I developed a translation course, a business course, and, you know, just teach what, what the students need. Thank you, Dr. Linda Riard, and I'll pass the mic over to Dr. Ruth Hotel. Uh, thank you, yes, and uh, thank you so much for doing this. This is really important for us to, to have the support that, uh, that, that we need so much to continue uh, being able to to teach French and work with French and and send our students to France and all of the many things that are part of French francophone experience. I am now Professor Emerita here at the University of Toledo. I came here in 1988 and worked through the ranks of assistant to associate to full professor. And I too began in, I, I'm from the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign, and my PhD was called expanded French studies. They changed it to French cultural studies. So that means I was able to, because uh, I came in with a master's and I was able to concentrate on culture, language in culture, literature through culture, and critical theory, teaching French as a second language, and concentrating on film. So I graduated with 19th century fantastic literature and film. <laughs> 
obviously not 19th century film, but <laughs> that I was studying the fantastic across those. I spent a year at uh, the College of William and Mary and another year at the uh, University of Tennessee before I came here. So I often said that when I came here, I had seen students of various backgrounds and I found our students here to be particularly sophisticated mm -hmm. because they were from a city. Uh, most of them knew where they had been and they had hopes for where they were going and a plan for how they were going to get there, which often, unfortunately for them, meant working two jobs. So we had to learn to navigate people's busy schedule that allowed them to take their, to do their studies all the while making it difficult to prepare for their classes, etc. It sounds like the experience of a lot of students who go to a commuter campus, who go to a campus in an area of the Midwest. For example, I went to the University of Michigan Dearborn. So could you tell me what interested you about your time in the department at the University of Toledo, particularly seeing the evolution of the department and seeing the department go from a foreign language department to a world languages department? One of the things that interested me about being here was because I was in a department of world languages, what well, was foreign languages at first, and then it became world languages and cultures. So I was surrounded. I've become almost fluent, at least orally, in Spanish, because I was surrounded by Spanish every day mm -hmm. for, well, 35 years before I came here. I had friends, a lot of colleagues in Spanish. Uh, I, and so what I heard Japanese on a daily basis by one of my neighbors, German, certainly Spanish, as I said, uh, Arabic, uh, because as you know, we also this is a part of the the part of the U.S. where we have a lot of Arab Americans, so we have a strong minor in in Arabic. So it was it's been fascinating and stimulating to be with all the languages. Whereas if I well, you know, if I were in a French department, as much as I love literature and film, I would have been teaching those all the time, probably, and not so much language as what as I've been able to do. So because I've taught culture, I've taught, and then a lot of the times I teach culture through film because that's so easy to use that that medium for students to, to, to visualize what they're hearing. Just as movies provide us with the geography, the nuances of culture, the nuances of language as we're watching any type of francophone film, the portraits that you are giving us of life as a University of Toledo student and of your own experiences really show me the global experience, the experience that opens doors for students at the University of Toledo. And it goes beyond the headlines about cuts to programs at the University of Toledo. And I was wondering if you could elaborate on the specific reasons the University of Toledo is citing for suspending the French and German major programs at your institution and really what impact this decision has on current students. Well, the, the first criterion that they have cited has been uh, low enrollment. Um, and that is one of those self-fulfilling prophecies or, or situations, if you will. So I came here in 2001 and Ruth came in what, 1996? Uh, 88. No, okay, 1988. So when I came, we had two full-time instructors in French, and that was Ruth and myself and an army of part-time instructors. We eventually got, I think it was two full-time lecturers out of that. 
Um, when Ruth retired, she was not replaced. When um, the first full-time lecturer retired, she was not replaced. The second one retired in spring of 2022. He was not replaced. So I have been left to teach um, the major and the minor. And I have one part-time instructor this semester who is teaching one section of elementary French second semester. So that gives you an idea of how much the program has contracted because there have been no resources added to the department to make up for instructors who have left. So under those circumstances, you, you can imagine that, yes, we are low enrolled, but I don't believe it is because of a lack of student interest. I believe it is because of a lack of university interests in investing, in maintaining the investment in these opportunities for students. And we could say the same thing about the, the German major. Um, you know, there were full-time lecturers, they, they retired, they were not replaced. We now have one full-time person, one tenured professor in German, um, to deliver uh, the major and the minor. And she has no part-time uh, help. Not this uh, year. Right. Yeah. So that's where we are now. I imagine these cuts have some kind of campus-wide initiative. This is all part of a program that they're calling program prioritization in which they are suspending uh, low-enrolled majors. Um, Again, because they uh, because of uh, low enrollment and they want to take our meager resources and reallocate them to areas of growth. Um, and I wish them good luck with our meager resources to make a huge impact <laughs> on these other areas of growth, particularly since we just read today in the UT News that uh, the Board of Trustees has approved a $300 million master plan that would include tearing down some buildings and putting up a brand new science building. So we'll, you know, we'll let that speak for itself. But all of this, of course, has to be viewed in the light of the persistent emphasis on STEM. And as this has been happening, we've been looking at some of the statistics regarding STEM graduates. And I have nothing against STEM programs and graduates. They do wonderful work. It's important work, and we want to continue investing in these areas. But I do not believe that we should be doing it at the expense of the liberal arts, which is what this is really about. Um, in addition to suspending French and German, they are considering further exploration of the Spanish major, meaning, you know, will they suspend it or not? Um, they have on this um, secondary list for consideration of uh, suspension, sociology, anthropology, philosophy. Right now they're up in the air about women and gender studies and disability studies. Will they combine those two programs into, into one? This is really part of the larger picture that devalues the liberal arts. So it really is about more than just us in the language programs. But to come back to STEM, the statistics show us, according to the Census Bureau for 2019, there were 50 million employed college graduates uh, total. 37% of those 50 million had a degree in STEM, but only 14% of those people worked in a STEM occupation. There's quite a gap there. So overall, what we're seeing is that less than a third 
of STEM graduates are actually working in a STEM job. So in a sense, the real crisis is not that we don't have enough STEM graduates, it's that we don't have enough STEM jobs. So graduates in STEM are working in other areas and non-STEM graduates actually end up working in STEM as well. So that's, it's really important to keep that in mind as we look at the dismantling of the liberal arts in higher ed in the U.S. When I was a student, I went to University of Michigan, but I went to University of Michigan Dearborn, which is primarily a commuter mm -hmm. campus, primarily a mm -hmm. STEM focused campus. And what I noticed as I started my career there as an undergraduate student is that a student would come in maybe their first or second year and they would say, oh, well, I'm definitely 100 percent STEM. But by the third and fourth year, when they saw what the job market looked like and particularly what the job market required of them, they realized that all of a sudden arts were important, that liberal arts were very important. And I saw them trickle into language classes. I saw them come into history classes kind of mm -hmm. at the end of their career because they realized that there was far more opportunity if they had a well-balanced education. And so a lot of people are arguing against eliminating language programs, saying that it weakens global understanding and limits career opportunities. How do you think that we can convince, obviously, this the University of Toledo is a case study, but obviously it's happening not just there, but everywhere across the country and even in some parts of Canada, where we are talking about looking at the return on investment for taking certain classes, for studying certain things. We see the amount of debt that students accrue when they're in school, when they think about their job prospects. But how can we address that and say that valuable learning opportunities exist within languages? How can we reframe that conversation? It, it seems to me that one of the things that they have been forgetting lately is where our students are now. Our former students we used to regularly keep uh, a record of where they were and what they are doing. And that's whether they were minoring, taking the required courses or um, double major, which they often did. And uh, we, have, we have an excellent record of mm -hmm. employment by our former students, both undergrads and grads, with several testimonials and descriptions of how much better their jobs are how, how they have succeeded in their jobs. And those are the ones with STEM. Uh, we have particularly one in engineering. He's working at the local uh, nuclear uh, facility, right. the last right. I heard. Uh -huh. He minored, or no, he double majored, he double majored and spent some time in France, was very, was very dedicated to it. And he speaks about how that improved his ability to communicate and his ability to interact with the world and politics in general. Of course, here, close to Canada, in the past place, a lot of people with a drivetrain facilities working with Canadian mm -hmm. uh, um, businesses. And German, of course, as you mentioned in, I think it was your podcast on the 13th, was the importance of, of German for the automobile indus industry here. And our colleague who couldn't be here today, our colleague in German, tells us often about the, the kinds of internships that she places with Mercedes and other German mm -hmm. companies and then in in uh, Germany. So, And it sounds to me like a lot of this is faculty driven, that faculty are really the ones who are taking the students and lifting them up and bringing them into these positions where they're getting internships, where they're seeing themselves differently, and where maybe as they work towards tenure, they're also doing this for the students and bringing it together. 
Linda got tenure and promotion. She had come in with already a, an excellent teaching and research record. So she came up for promotion and tenure early and then got full prof very quickly as well. And she's got a lot of articles and book that's got excellent reception. I had a good teaching mm -hmm. and, and research record too. And I'm a Chevalier de l'Ordre des Palmes Académiques, which I'm very proud of. Linda was, again, very helpful with that in uh, contacting people and writing letters for me. Uh, I was nominated by Guillaume Lacroix. And so I have had that since 2019. And so that, that's been a great honor. And I don't, I'm not saying that others are not excellent in their fields, but I, I think that our excellence should be pinpointed in some way. And replaced we should be replaced as well as our colleagues in german given the wealth of knowledge that you provide to students what can be done to support you people underlining all the things the details that linda's just given you and that we've been talking about the success of our students the excellence of our students the cooperation across languages to have a strong language department is very important also I think that needs to be emphasized in case they decide to break up the whole department yes. in some way, which would be ill-advised. But uh, and I, I think in general, reminding people of the importance of languages for all careers mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and STEM, especially since STEM, yeah. what the university seems to want to emphasize then I think we could talk about that importance. Now, we can also talk about, uh, you mentioned uh, a double major that we had in mechanical engineering and French. Uh, I had a student who just came back from an internship in Switzerland. He's another mechanical engineering uh, major, and he's combining that with a French minor. Now, let me also point out here that the university will maintain the language minors in French and German, but we're concerned that the loss of the major represents a significant way that our students can distinguish themselves in the, in the, the global economy. Um, by double majoring or even simply majoring in a language. We've had a couple of pharmacy students who have double majored in French and pharmacy. Right now, we're having an increased interest in students from engineering in general. And part of that comes from the change in the accreditation for ABET. And ABET is now insisting that uh, their students demonstrate competent intercultural competence. For many of the students, that ends up being, well, you know, take a, a culture course taught in English and that will count. But I think other students take it much more seriously and are interested in, in language. To say nothing of the wider opportunities for internships and co-ops that our engineering students do. The University of Virginia, which is where I did my PhD, has an incredible program called the Global Technology Practice. And the global technology practice bridges German and engineering. Now, German was my minor in undergrad, and oh. I love German. I've kept up with German. I've taught German in the high school and even in the at the college level in education abroad. And they really needed somebody when I was a graduate student. They really needed somebody to help them with this program. I have experience with voice recognition in the auto industry, just living in Dearborn. There was a lot of opportunity to work with French in Dearborn. And then German, I had that. And then, of course, being from Dearborn, global technology practice in Stuttgart, the Detroit of Germany, it just all made right. sense. So I was brought over there 
as the lecturer and the course assistant as a graduate student for this program. And that gave me a unique perspective because I wasn't teaching in French. I wasn't teaching in my primary subject, but I was looking at an alternative way to teach French or to teach German or to teach any language in the lens that made the language look not just practical, but was applied to interest right. and major interests of the students. And so right. students coming to this program were all kinds of engineers. They were electrical engineers, automotive engineers, aerospace engineers, and they all came together and they had one mission. That was to understand the cultural environment where they were for a few weeks in Germany, to understand the language. Many of them had zero experience with German coming on the ground mm -hmm. and to understand how technology wove its way into both, into language and into culture. And suddenly students were looking at me and coming up to me and saying, this is the first time that I see my area of specialization, my interest, my major come to life in a new way. And I said, oh. okay, why is that? Why are you so interested in this combination? And they said, I now feel more confident and capable to talk about what I do, not only to other people, but to see how other people who don't speak English and who, who don't do what I do understand their own areas of specialization and how that manifests in a completely different environment than Virginia. Uh -huh. So for me, interesting project and interesting program and again arguing for marketable skills arguing for right. professionalization and, and majors that that lead to professionalization that's what confused me so much about the university of toledo's decision because looking beyond the university of toledo there are much broader implications for cutting majors and cutting language programs entirely at the university level another example living in dearborn michigan going to a commuter campus by studying a language such as Arabic or German or Spanish or French, a student saw themselves not only there in Dearborn, Michigan, but they saw themselves at the gateway of the world. And that's the other thing that allows a student to envision their life differently, to, to live differently, to work with multiple global entities, global enterprises, global right. jobs. And so what are both of your thoughts, I guess, about the potential alternative options for this decision, potential compromises that the university could make and potential realizations that indeed majors lead to major employment and professional development? Well, I think that one of the things that we've been working on is considering either some kind of interdisciplinary major with two languages or considering some sort of overarching major that would have core courses in linguistics, intercultural communication with language tracks inside. But right now, they don't seem to be particularly interested in responding to that and pulling back the plan to suspend. They may pull it back later, I don't know but it has not been very encouraging, but we're going to be persistent. I think that we have to continue stressing the importance of a, a second language in all the professions. So one thing we have done in Spanish is that we've developed a course for a Spanish for healthcare professionals. Now, I think we're gonna, that course is probably gonna have to be taught directly on the campus where most of the healthcare students are working. I think that because we have two campuses, it can be a little difficult for the students to navigate that, and that probably needs to physically go there. 
Um, and we might do similar things with German for engineering or French for, for engineering to make it as streamlined as possible for students, to make it as easy for them to, to pursue these other disciplines. But I think we also have to stress on what employers have told us that they want in graduates. And that is graduates who um, have better communication skills and you can can't argue with the fact that you learn better communication skills in a foreign language uh, classroom, as well as people who can work collaboratively. And that's been the basis of many of our classroom activities. I'm sure that you know from your own teaching, we do a lot of partner activities in, in class. So the students are using the language to get information and to relay information. By extension, knowing how to communicate well leads to more success when you're in a situation in a professional development setting, when you're in experiential learning. I don't understand how the connection is just not seen more often than it should be. I had this discussion with our, our provost the other day about this constant push for experiential learning. And I believe in that, but I think we're also overlooking the fact that when we're teaching a language in our classroom, we're not miming the language. We're not, you know, looking in a mirror and pretending to speak the language. We are speaking the language in the classroom. We are using the language in the classroom to discover other information and to convey information. And if that's not experiential learning, yes. I don't know what is. I don't know if you saw this or not. There was an editorial in the Toledo Blade on February 15th, just uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, where uh, they entitle it Preserve UT's Mission. Uh, toward the end of this relatively short um, mm -hmm. article, they say more, they're talking about the budget cuts and the fact that uh, UT it, it continues to lose enrollment, whereas Bowling Green State University down the road from us, which I, if memory serves, we were twice we had twice the enrollment they did when we when I started here mm -hmm. in 1988, and now they have surpassed us in enrollment which certainly makes one wonder what they might be doing and what the University of Toledo has done to lose all of those enrollments. Uh, the other thing is, uh, how, how can they expect anything but a, a decrease in enrollment when they cut sections that were well enrolled? One of the things that we've done the last few years that I was able to help with as Professor Emerita, because they can bring me back to teach, they had proposed a class called World Cultures Through Film and Literature. And it was during the shut, shutdown that Linda asked me to do this. So I spent the next several months ordering books myself, finding short stories that I could scan for the students, et cetera, and then film. It was online. First time I taught it, I had 28 stu 27 students I ended with. The next time we had, I think, 20. They canceled it the following spring because I, they would have to pay me a part-time uh, contract. So that's that's just one example. Uh, Japanese, we are, I don't know if you're aware of this, but last I heard we were second or third. We're always just behind OSU mm -hmm. and Cincinnati for our enrollment in Japanese. Mm -hmm. And we get our departments and our colleagues there have won all kinds of awards mm -hmm. for that. Mm -hmm. They canceled some of those classes in Japanese culture that it then enrolls like 35 students in English, of course. But uh, I know several people, including my own spouse, who took the class and they glean a great deal of insight into history and culture. So 
that's an example of how enrollments in our department have decreased because of ill-advised decisions by the administration. And I think you probably find that all across, especially among humanities. So just it, one of the things that toward the end of this article, of this editorial, the author says, more unsettling is the plan to abolish master, bachelor's and master's degree in French and German. Students interested in those foreign languages would have to settle for a minor Considering that the university has on its faculty a full professor in French, we would expect the university to capitalize on that fact to attract students, not wish the program away. So instead of talking to Linda and other colleagues who might be close to retirement into leaving, they should be saying, well, how can we help you do what you already do so well? So there are ways to help grow this. Then they conclude with a university worthy of its name has a strong liberal arts college. Now, if you want to go along with the idea of supporting the core requirements in support of professional colleges, you know, we, we can argue about what, what education is all about and where people do get jobs. And I do know that today people with a high debt that they incur need to think about those jobs. But they also need to think about how to do those jobs well, how to, how to bring themselves to the top of the, of the heap of applicants, and then how to rise within their chosen field, within that company or wherever it is they, they are working. Another thing I want to emphasize is last week, two different times during NPR's morning edition here through WGTE, they have the Ohio News Update. I heard an interview with someone from the um, Inside Higher Ed the topic was the cuts at different Ohio universities, mentioning particularly the University of Toledo. And the representative from Inside Higher Ed emphasized the fact that these decisions will contribute to widening the economic gap between the classes. So in other words, people of higher income brackets, their students will be able to afford to go to the U of M's, the OSU's, who will still have languages and or afford to travel abroad and be in an immersion experience, whereas the, the, the middle and lower income students who need to stay home in order to live with their parents, in order to, uh, to have those uh, local scholarships to keep their, their uh, debt down somewhat, they will be deprived of, of well, liberal arts in general. And as far as work, you know, what concerns us personally, of course, are the, the, the languages. And, and this is something that I tried to stress in a recent report that I gave to the Board of Trustees as the Faculty Senate President, that these decisions are only going to exaggerate the gulf between the haves and the have-nots. And the haves are going to get a, a rich liberal education, and the have-nots are going to have to settle for job training. Um, and that's a very sad day for higher ed. Now, I'd also like to point out that here on our campus, I, I believe that program prioritization is a huge distraction from what we really need to be concentrating on, and that's enrollment. Enrollment is the problem. It is not my program. Um, mm. It is not French or German that is the problem. It is enrollment. And what is our administration doing about um, addressing that problem? The other thing is that we've instituted basically um, a zero-sum game so that my program can only win if your program loses something. And that's not the way to develop a curriculum. And that is not the, the best way to serve our students. 
It seems also that many administrators are focusing their time and effort on buildings and on aesthetics rather than focusing on the well-being of students and the opportunities that students have to learn and grow within the environment they currently have. And so I'm wondering if you have thoughts about the future of language learning in higher education and sort of the tiff between faculty administration, administration wanting there to be numbers, administration wanting there to be a good outside view of the university, sort of marketing the university almost like a corporation, whereas the faculty are really thinking about the subject, the core subject, the experience where a student is in a classroom and is learning French or is learning German or is learning Arabic and is able to apply that learning to something beyond. What are your thoughts about maybe promising models or initiatives that could address some of the declining enrollment that you're seeing in general at the university, and then also continued importance of language study for those students who are at the university and have enrolled at University of Toledo. I think we have to emphasize to our students and to our administrations that this generation of graduates is going to have to change careers and jobs numerous times over their lifetime. And the things that are going to get them through those transitions, the things that will allow them to reinvent themselves are going to come from the liberal arts. They need to be able to communicate verbally and in written form. They need to be able to be empathetic. And that's one of the things that the research shows is that language learning leads to a certain kind of empathy, which is what makes people better communicators. It's the skills that they learn in the liberal arts and including in our language classrooms that are going to help them weather the the extreme changes that they're going to have to make during their professional lives. As you think about it, I mean, Linda has been very active in different roles in the administration and at faculty governance. I was chair for 10 years as well and active in faculty governance, constantly working with members of the administration. There really shouldn't be any reason why there should be such a divide between what they are saying they want to emphasize and what our interests are. So in other words, we would not have been so active all these years in working with the administration if we didn't went on committees, et cetera, if we didn't want to also advance the reputation of the university. I've always been confused about why there has to be this divide. Because as a matter of fact, when when we publish something, even now, you know, as Professor Emerita, whenever I publish an article or a book, the University of Toledo is always there, even mm-hmm. if they have not specifically given me a grant or to, or something to finish that work. The University of Toledo is always up after my name. And it used to be, it seemed to me in the past that the administration was proud of that, mm-hmm. that they, they recognized that that elevates the reputation of the university. You know, and we still have a various... Uh, publications that uh, rank universities and they don't rank those universities usually on the way on their brand new building but on the reputation of their faculty and of the former students so exactly i mean and (laughs) talk about brand new buildings i teach in a building from the 1800s and students are at harvard university you know this is not a building that's remodeled and, and refurbished all the time actually many of the classrooms are very historic and so 
students are there. They're, they have the technology, obviously, in that classroom. But Harvard University has a reputation and the buildings are, of course, there's a huge endowment at the university, but the buildings are not important. What's important is the faculty student relationship and the relationships that are built between the two and then extend beyond the classroom. And so I would hope that the models of education eventually start to acknowledge the work that faculty does for students to help build the wings for the students as they emerge and as they navigate the ever-changing world, the ever-globalizing world that we are living in today. There is a petition going out to help your program and to help uh, address what's going on at the University of Toledo. Could you tell the listeners a little bit about the petition? I'll be sure to uh, include the link to the petition in the podcast episode. So you said that, um, what would we What would we say that listeners might do. So I would ask them to, to complete the petition and to send it in. And then there are there's there are parts where you can say when you can give your opinion, which you can say should be done. So again, I'd like to emphasize the links between getting a good job, a job that pays well, and using your skills of communication, therefore language, and then how to remedy this. I would say that you need at least one, better two, full-time professors on the tenure track who will uh, contribute to the program, to developing these programs that we were talking about to increase enrollment across the university. And so that would be, what they're saying is that suspending these programs will not save money, but they want to invest it elsewhere. I think it's very important to emphasize that investing it elsewhere is not the way to help students do well in their studies and in the job market. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. I think Liz got that. Yeah, I've got the um, the link, although I believe you, you should be able to get it through uh, change.org. But the specific link is https colon slash slash chng dot it slash hh eight B Z L X T V M. One more comment I'd like to make. Um, This is, I believe that what we are experiencing now in higher ed is the result of misplaced priorities. And I'll give you a very specific example. Recently, Faculty Senate did a survey of faculty experiences and opinions on recent budget cuts and prioritization. And the numbers showed that our faculty is very demoralized, very discouraged, does not have a lot of confidence in the financial numbers that are coming out of administration. And again, as faculty Senate president, I reported this to the board of trustees. One of the trustees was, I will say, outraged that I could even say such a thing because after all, our football team was on its way to a MAC championship. How could, the, how could the campus be demoralized? And I think that pretty much sums it up. We, we emphasize the extracurricular at the cost of academic programs. And I totally agree. There was an article I read many years back that said that many campuses are trying to create a experience that is likening it to a resort. And uh-huh. students uh-huh. have all kinds of extracurriculars. They have a nice pool. Some even have saunas now. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we never saw before. We never 
thought about a university as having an all-inclusive kind of package. <laughs> and so right. thinking about the well-being of our students and the well-being of our students moving into the job market, moving into the world after their diploma right. is really where we need to put our priorities moving forward. Right. Uh, I just want to thank you both so okay. very much for okay. on the podcast. And I do hope that listeners will support you with this petition and moving forward, we can all join together, no matter where we are in the U.S., Canada, and beyond, to support language learning. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you for your support. Thank too. you. We look forward to hearing about Mili too. Thank you for listening to the North American Francophone Podcast. If you'd like to be in touch with me, visit thefrancophone.com where you can listen to all of the previous episodes and also contact me. If you want to email me direct, you can email northamericanfrancophone at gmail.com or you can find me on LinkedIn or X. Have a great rest of your day.